0: Uh, good to be with you guys. I uh, thank you for um, for calling me athletic and I mean even good looking. I, the 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 highlight of my life over the past month is Caleb. Actually, I teach most Sunday nights uh, at our at the Irvine campus. I teach in our, our chapel, and um, I I needed uh, you know I needed a break just like Caleb you know did. It was well deserved for him you know for sure. I'm not sure I deserved it, but he does. And uh, but he was speaking for me on a Sunday night, and I was going up to check on our our. our so our sound booth's on a balcony, so I went up to talk to our sound tech before the, before the service, and he didn't have his glasses on, and he goes, and he, and he knew Caleb was speaking, but he didn't expect me to be up there, and so he goes, he turns around and goes, oh, hey, Caleb, to me. And I have to tell you, that was like the greatest moment. <laughs> because I, I just, I mean, of all the handsome people I've ever met in my life, you know, like, Caleb is like the most handsome, so I was like, oh, our sound tech's name's Armando, and I'm like, "Mondo, thank you so much. <laughs> This is is going to be a great night. Isn't it going to be great? This is going to be so great. I mean, so anyway, I just, so right back at you. Very good to be here um, with you guys. I also, I I almost, yeah, I, you know, some of you guys know the bass player, Doug. I was next to him and I was like, you know, you said, hey, the the moves for this flash mob are really simple. They're not that complicated. I I was like, prove it. I wanted to see if you actually could do them. (laughs) Anyway, maybe, anyone? Okay, so there's not a lot of momentum for that. People do not want to see you dance. They'd like to keep you just handsome, but not dancing. Uh, so, anyway, hey, good to be with you guys, I, um, I, I love being able to be here, last time I spoke at Huntington Beach was when it was at the old, ye old campus, (laughs) Golden West, some of you have been there since the golden days, so to speak, and I remember, um, I remember taking about 30 minutes to park and then walk and find the place, and this has been so cool to be able to be here, last service was so fun, and I know that there's just a ton of enthusiasm about the Huntington Beach campus, bless you, that was a really big sneeze, um, (laughs) But I know there's a ton of enthusiasm about it. We meet on Tuesday mornings as a staff of all the Mariners' campuses. All three campuses get together, and more enthusiasm back there. great. But we would get together and um, you know over and over again, we get stories from, from Caleb from, uh, from Jerris about what 's going on in Huntington Beach, and they're just great things. You guys are generous people. Caleb already mentioned they're already inviters that the, the church is growing a community there's enthusiasm and momentum here, and so is very, very fun to be here and be able to be a guest um, today, so totally honored to be a part of, of what God's doing, at least for today, in, in Huntington Beach. So we're in a series. It is called Comfort and Joy, and, um, you know, it, is, it comes out of the, the, the song, uh, you know, God rest you merry gentlemen, and um, as we talk about Christmas, most of us have this sort of feeling about comfort and joy that we're sort of supposed to feel it like it's an obligation, but that somehow it's sort of... We're trying to force ourselves to find, it's like that moment when your dad takes you on a, you know, a road trip, and it's like, you're gonna have, you're weird now we were having a terrific time, everybody, you know, fine. It's kind of like that for us, a lot of us, like, and now you're comfortable and joyful, so be those things, you know, it kind of feels like that as we get closer and closer to Christmas. And if you were here last week, we talked about comfort, and we had people stand and receive sort of the comfort of their own, their own community around them, people being prayed for, and we talked about um, about God wanting to deliver into us a sort of sense of comfort when we really need it—not just sort of fake, plastered on, "I'm comfortable. How you doing? I'm okay." But really, like, let's really meet each other's needs where, where we're at. And so that was kind of last week. And then, because this isn't a really complicated series, there's not a whole lot to it. We have comfort and then joy. I mean, again, there's not no secret here. There's no, we're not going to talk about and for a week. We're going to talk about joy. And so we're in we're in this next part of the series: comfort and joy. And so before we get in talking about joy, I want to do this. I want us to pray. So would you do this? Would you just still yourselves a little bit, quiet yourselves? Just um, would you pause with me? So bow your heads, close your eyes, whatever it is that you need to do to sort of dial in a little bit. Jesus, we are busy people who run very fast. We, um, We experience so little quiet and stillness in our lives. And so, Lord, for just a moment, we want to acknowledge the stillness. This may be the quietest stillest moment of our entire week. And so we just pause. Some of us, this will be the only time we get to exhale, to breathe. This might be the only refuge from everything else that's going on in our lives that is moving at such an incredibly fast pace that demands so much of us. God, would we be refreshed today? Would we let down our guard a little? Would we allow you, God, in some way to speak to us in powerful ways? And God, would you restore us to great joy? Not merely, Lord, in the sense of we're supposed to be joyful, but will we really experience your joy? God, we give you these next few moments as we're, as we're together, as we look at your word. God, would you challenge us? Would you provoke us? Would you encourage us? Would you breathe new life into us as a community of people, beginning to get a picture of what it looks like to find and to live out great joy? In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you want to pull your outline out, um, we're going to be walking through that a little bit. And then if you have your Bible, we're going to spend a lot of time in Luke chapter 2. We'll be dancing around a little bit. But um, if you've want to buy, you, know, you got a Bible and want to take a look at that, that's great. We're in Luke 2. But... Um, this is a season where people, you know, sort of, like we said, are sort of modeling, hoping for, wanting to get, trying to capture moments of, of joy, and you see that a lot when people, you know, force their children to sit on Santa's lap at the mall, and they have that moment where they tell their kids, this is a great opportunity to sit on a stranger's lap, so be joyful. He doesn't look, doesn't, he's, great. he's got a beard, it's nice, he's wearing a red suit, I'm sure it's wonderful, sit on the stranger's lap, and then we take a picture, and we try to capture the moment of overflowing in joy. And so, here's just a couple shots. I got a couple of these off the internet. Here's a couple of them you might have recognized. <laughs> just joy to the world. I mean, nothing but, nothing happy about that picture. Santa, I mean, it's just like, get him off of here. You don't know what else is happening. Let's go to the next slide. Just look real closely at that picture. Just take, take it all in for a second. Just let it observe that moment. Now, he's so excited. He just, he's literally overflowing. <laughs> Joy. There's Santa. You know, I I mean, so then there's that. Then there's this one right here. This is one of my favorites. (laughs) Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Scottsdale Gun Club. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everyone. And then right here. (laughs) Oh, someone made their goth children sit with Santa, who evidently is incredibly tiny. That's a very small, that chair is a normal sized chair. He's just a really small Santa. No, I just. But there's this, you know, like, hey, everybody, it's a joyful moment. Merry Christmas. I mean, just nothing says joy of Christmas like kids in goth gear. Stone face at the the camera there. there, Do I have anything? That's it. So there's this season where we tell kids, hey, be joyful. Jolly old St. Nick, sit on his lap and we'll take a picture. And everybody's sort of supposed to paste on this is the best time of the year. Everything's so joyful and wonderful. And yet we have this sort of experience, most of us, maybe not you, but most of us have the experience of, I feel obligated to be joyful and be comforted, but it's somehow skipping me. And yet that's the message of Christmas, about joy. So let's take a look. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, you have this famous passage of Scripture that Linus reads. Perhaps you've heard of that before from the Christmas, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, but here it is. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people." A couple of things you have to know. First of all, the standard response when an angel appears is terror. Like, there's no, there's never an instance where an angel appears and it's sort of subtle, like, a, like, hey, I'm just let well, you guys know I'm an angel. I'm just kind of showing up here. I don't want to scare anybody. Just hey, everybody, angel. Just hey, oh hey, over here, microphone, is this on? Hey, angel, want to make quick announcements? None of that. It's only. <laughs> Don't be afraid. And you have to imagine everyone's like, really? Is that all you, That's what you got to do? You know, we get it. You're an angel. Light, the shining, the radiance, God's glory, whatever. It's awesome. Could you have done that, tone it down a little? <laughs> I mean, even they probably just could have shown up and just said, don't be afraid. That would have been equally as scary. Just that moment, like just to show up in the house. I was telling you guys not to be afraid. I was, what? You know, this is kind of the moment that you have. Standard response God's glory's all around. And then he says, the angel says, don't be afraid. Now that's the standard response. And then he says, there's this message here I want you to capture. I have good news of great joy for all the people. Now, the word good news in Greek is the word euangelion. It's where we get words like evangelism or evangelical. It means the the Greek eu, it just means good. And agelos, or, you know, just means simply message or messenger. Good message. That's all it means. Now, in this time, it's where we also, it's the the sort of other equivalent word is the word gospel. That just means good news. And there were all kinds of gospels or evangelion that would go out at this time in the first century. Two particular ones. One is this. Whenever Rome would have a military victory, they would send out messengers, that would, these heralds that would tell of the good news, the evangelion, the gospel. And they would say to all the people, hey, everybody, great news for everyone. We win. We're victorious. Rome has won again. Now, at the first century, Rome was not losing a lot of battles. They won all the time. And they were sending out this message all the time. Good news, the gospel. We win, we conquer. Caesar has won again. And the other gospel was the announcement of the birth of a Caesar. In other words, if Caesar himself had a son, there would be a gospel that would go out, that would be heralded throughout the land. Hey, everybody, good news. A gospel, a evangelion. There's a new Caesar who's been born. Remember, at this time, there's a emperor cult. People worshipped Caesar. They loved Caesar. Caesar demanded that they worship him, and if they didn't, they kind of found themselves in a little bit of a tough situation. And there would be then this evangelion that would go out about the birth of a Caesar. Here's the, actually the, the announcement of Caesar Augustus's birth. It sounds like this. Listen, listen to the language here. A savior for us and those after us to make war cease, to create order everywhere. That's the announcement of Caesar. Being born. The gospel of Caesar. And now the angel shows up and tells these shepherds, I have a gospel. I have good news for you. That isn't just good news because there's a military victory that Rome has won. And it's not the announcement of a new king, Caesar. It's an announcement of a different kind of victory and a different kind of king. And it's good news for everyone. For all the people that will cause great joy. Continuing on, verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Good news. Great joy for all the people. Now some of us had the experience of like maybe you've had a moment of joy. Maybe for a lot of us, we have the experience of maybe the announcement should be a little bit more moderated, a little bit more tamed down a little, like, like bring you mediocre news that will be for a few people. Maybe that would feel a little bit more like our own experience of joy. Ah, it's kind of good, I guess. That's sort of okay. Maybe there's a moment where we have sort of a spike in joy, but for most of us, we kind of have this craving to live and to find joy, but it somehow manages to escape us all the time people in the world not just us not just people who are gathered to sort of figure out what it means to follow Jesus but people in the world wonder about joy and happiness all the time there's uh, a bunch of research i was looking at through this message now some of you will say when we talk when it comes to joy some of you will say you know i'm just not really a joyful person i've kind of always been sort of the eor of the bunch you know okay everybody i guess it's time to go whatever it is that you i don't know how you are they just sounds low like i don't know else, but you know here it's a sunny day Oh, well, I'll probably get a sunburn. I mean, that's kind of your attitude. And some of you are like, no matter what happens, I'm always kind of on the other end of the spectrum. I'm kind of in the, well, things, things, just, things are just always awesome. You know, hey, I got an F on a test. Hey, I you know, hey, I got a ticket. But that's all right. The sun is shining somewhere behind the clouds. The sun is always shining. I mean, you just have that kind of, you know, needlepoint kind of on the next to the mantle on the bed or whatever. It's always awesome. Whatever it is, that's you. And some of you are like, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm kind of in the middle of both of those things. Maybe I'm a little more on the Eeyore side of things myself. But the truth is, both people, both of us, wherever we are on the spectrum, you're about half right. The research says, all of the, like, neurobiologists and psychologists say, about 50% of your own experience of happiness and joy is directly related to your own genes. Meaning, you were born Eeyore, or you were born Sunny Sunshine person in some way already, at least half of you. Now, 10%, only 8 to, to 10% of your happiness is directly related to your circumstances. This is the research. This is not like jesus guy giving you a fake... This is like secular... I mean, you're like, really? That's not really true. Because we know that's not... If I, had a, if I lived in a better house or a bigger car, I just know I'd be happier. No, that's true. 10%. You get 10%. That's what the research says. So, meaning... The things we try to spend most of our time adjusting and fixing, things like circumstances, though all, all of our kind of, if I had a better job, if I lived in a bigger house, if I had a better car, if I, you know, whatever, all of those kinds of things, if I had a different relationship, whatever, all of that stuff, the best you get is a 10% increase in your experience of joy and happiness, 10%. So it affects you, but only 10%. Now, those of you who are math people, you know there's 40 other percent left. And this is what the science is trying to figure out now. There's, there used to be a field like most of, most of what we know in psychology and sort of all this expertise about depression and sadness. We knew way more about depression and sadness and sort of the cloudy Eeyore people than we ever knew about happiness. What they say is there's 40% of us that's sort of up for grabs in terms of our own experience of joy and happiness. And there are three components, the researchers would say, about our experience of happiness. These are pleasure, Engagement, meaning our ability to connect with other people on a personal level. And then meaning or purpose. Now, the least consequential, the least effective way of changing or adjusting our happiness for the better is in pleasure. The least effective, meaning that there's something else that has to impact our our overall experience of happiness and joy besides pleasure. Now, I want you to think for a moment the world that we live in that expends a huge amount of resources and money and effort and time and energy at trying to increase or get you to increase your own experience of pleasure. Because most of us at some point or another will begin to believe, if I had a more pleasurable life experience, my overall happiness would be monumentally changed. And the research says that's, not, that's just not true. It's just not true. I was talking with a guy, you know, one of the things that we do on staff as a pastor is you um, were required to sort of take the crisis phone calls and the crisis walking. People just looking to speak with a pastor, want to pray with someone. Usually these are people who are unconnected to the church because they don't know anybody else. So they just, I need to pray with somebody to talk to someone. So a guy calls, this is a couple weeks ago. And he says, hey, I'm, um, I got to talk to you about my marriage. And I was like, all right. He says, I'm, I've been unfaithful. Wow. Okay, well, what's going on? Well, my wife and I were struggling and I felt like, you know, she wasn't really, you know, she wasn't really giving me what I needed, and so I decided to start finding what I needed somewhere else, and so I ended up meeting some folks online, and then it kind of turned into something, and now it's, you know, and back, and we're doing great now, but there was, there was this, a while ago this was happening, and, and we're, we're working to rebuild our marriage, and I said, so you're, I'm, I'm confused. Are you trying, are you together? Are you not together? He goes, well, uh, when things are really tough, I decided one of the people I met, I was going to just get together with them. We were going to have this wild, crazy experience vacation together in thailand and i was going to give up everything in my marriage and just go we were going to hang out and that was going to be our thing and i said wow you're going to you're going to give up your marriage he's like yeah i was just just so tired of everything and i was going to leave i said really so here's what your experience is that you were you were so unhappy because you were getting you weren't getting something from your wife that you felt like you're going to go to thailand makes and i go is that what you really want to do he goes he goes i knew you were going to say that i was like he's like you know you're you're just going to tell me not to go and i was like well yeah, is that surprising? <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like that. did you expect me to say, you know, this seems like a really good thing for your marriage. I mean, like, you know, so I have this conversation with this guy, and I'm, you know, and it was about that. It was like that comment. He's kind of laughing, and he's like, so you're saying I shouldn't go? I'm like, no, don't go. And I go, what is it that you wanted to get? He goes, I wasn't getting something that like, really fell into the category of pleasure, and, I, and, I, and I'm entitled to it, and I want it, and I know I can get it if I go on this trip. And I go, you don't, I, just, I let me tell you something. You're not gonna go on this trip. He goes, I'm not. I go, no, you're not. Because you wouldn't have called me otherwise. And I go, let me tell you a couple other things. He goes, well, first of all, he goes, well, it was really expensive. I spent a lot of money, and we were gonna go also we we're also gonna go visit the orphanages and stuff like that. I go, <laughs> I go, you're not calling me about the orphanages, are you? No, no I'm not really calling you. I go, okay. I he goes, it's really expensive. And I, you know, and I go, I go, well, then you literally can put a price on your marriage. And he goes, he goes, well, I don't know. And I go, well, I go, here's the deal. You get no credit for not going. You don't get to tell your wife, hey, guess what? I'm not going to Thailand to have this magical affair. <laughs> you don't get to tell her that. You, don't get, you get no credit for that. All you get to do is do the right thing here, and you get to actually sort of move on from just the experience of I'm entitled to more pleasure to beginning to sort of have this experience of more engagement and meaning. And all of us, maybe not quite as dramatically as this guy I talked to on the phone, all of us have this experience of being lured into this sort of experience of pleasure all the time because it's always in front of us. And eventually it traps us. Look what it says in Titus 3.3. 3. It says this. At one time, Paul's writing here. He's kind of finishing up some work that isn't done yet at this, at, here. And he says this in his letter. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. If you're a person who underlines or takes notes, I would underline the word enslaved. At one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now what he's saying is, we had all the pleasures of the world were available to us, and it wasn't like we experienced a huge amount of freedom and joy. We experienced being enslaved entrapped, being held captive by these things. And then he says that the outcome of the pleasures and passions that were given to us is actually that we were hated and hated each other. There's this thing that happens in the pleasure sort of chase that the psychologists call the hedonic treadmill, which is just another really fancy way of saying it's the law of diminishing returns, meaning at one point you start doing something and it feels really wonderful, but that's not enough anymore, so you have to up it a little bit further and get a little bit further and a little bit further down the road. And he says, in other words, we get ourselves stuck on a treadmill of running and running and running and not knowing how to get off because there's some kind of being trapped there. One scholar says it this way, that, you know, hateful and hating is what necessarily must happen when we let loose every pleasure of the soul. Now what's being said here is this. First of all, you are being marketed to every single day, telling you you are entitled to more pleasure and that your life is somehow incomplete, that there is a fuller experience of joy for you if only you could have a little bit more pleasure. Secondly, what's being said here is this, that the outcome of having all the pleasure we could ever want in our life is only incrementally going to increase our experience of joy and happiness. And lastly, what it says is, if we get all of the experience of, of pleasure that we could possibly have, the ultimate result of that is that we're hated and we hate each other. Which undermines the sort of bigger picture of being connected it engaged in meaning and purpose, like we talked about earlier, about what really sort of begins to create happiness and joy, the experience. In other words, the outflow of pleasure, pleasure the sort of pleasure-seeking treadmill, isn't joy. It's captivity. So there must be something else to joy other than what the world talks about, that all of what we're being marketed to at this season, at this time. Remember that the angel announces good news, great joy. For all the people. Jesus, um, well, I'll just look what it says in James chapter 1. What are, we look, what are we talking about when we talk about pure joy? Look what it says. First of all, I should say this, James chapter 1. James is the, you know, the uh, best way to say it is he's the younger half-brother of Jesus. He grew up in the same house as Jesus. <laughs> now, how many of you guys have an older sibling? And how many of you felt like they condescended you a little bit? That they kind of knew how to do things. Some of you are looking at your older sibling right now. And that there's a little bit of superiority. And that perhaps even in some way, even against your parents' best intentions, you were probably compared to that older sibling a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, if people are like, mom and dad are right here. Just count that. Okay. Now, imagine if your older sibling was Jesus. Just take that in for a second. This means... On the one-off chance that your older brother or sister might cover for you when you did something you weren't supposed to do, that's not happening with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you know, I know I'm home a little late. Can you just tell Mom and Dad you saw me? I'm sorry. I'm the Lord. <laughs> Mother, Father, they were home late beyond curfew. I mean, just you have that kind of like, I cannot lie. I'm perfect. Yeah, we all know it, Jesus. We get it. You're perfect. I mean, that's kind of, you have to remember, this is the experience of James. Couldn't you be like your older brother? No! <laughs> Nobody can. I, can. I don't know how to do that. What? That's crazy. Mom, mom, I can't be like, you know, whatever it is. Now, that's James. He's like the leader. Like, like there's like a couple people that are giant figures in the early church. It's particularly in Jerusalem, James is like the guy. Him and Peter, right? And so, James is this guy. And he's writing a letter talking about sort of how faith is supposed to work. And he starts his letter saying, it's me, James. A servant of the Lord and of, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus. Which means at some point he made a transition from, oh, my older brother, to he's the Lord. I'm a servant of him. And then he writes about joy. And he's talking to some of the most persecuted, some of the most persecuted church in all of Christendom. And he says this. For chapter, or chapter one, verse two, he says this. Consider it, James says, pure joy. Stop right there. Now, whatever it is we might have imagined might come after, that for, after those words is probably not what we're about to read. Some of you already jumping ahead. Try to close your eyes just for a second, and you didn't read it. But there's this moment here where we kind of go, pure joy. Wow, what's he going to talk about? Balloons. I mean, you know, we don't know, right? And here's what he says. <laughs> I don't know. Just, I didn't say that last service. I just thought, what's the most joyful, tame thing I can imagine? Some of you are scared of balloons. Okay, here we go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Wait, James, remember? Joy. Pure joy. And he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The wisdom tradition in, in sort of Jewish, scholar, Jewish scholars would say that the path to wisdom always has discipline and trial. James is sort of following in the same thing, that what you really want this whole life as he talks about it, that you would be uh, mature and complete can only be had through trial, through suffering, through really difficult times. And he says about those things, consider it pure joy. He doesn't say consider it pure joy in the event if it happens We're not sure, but if it does, he says, consider it pure joy whenever you, not if it should happen, whenever you experience trials of many kinds. Meaning the only thing that we're all entitled to in this particular passage is suffering and trial. Yay! Merry Christmas, everyone. Bring that Santa back up. I mean, it's like, that's all we can count on. And he says, To consider it pure joy. But there's something else that's going on, we're talking about joy, that's far beyond the circumstances, far beyond the pleasure experience, far beyond whatever else it is that we might think about that we can buy, purchase, or commodify that would build into us joy. There's something bigger than that that he's talking about here. And it is in and through suffering in some way or another. Now, for most of us, we talk about sort of Joy, most of us think about it wisely, I mean reasonably, in terms that are apart from suffering and trial. And most of the experience of people that would try to talk about joy the, joy, the most happy, the most joy-filled moments in their lives, a lot of times, if we take them all the way to the extreme, look like something we would call sort of the ecstatic experience, ecstasy, where you sort of lose yourself a little bit. And sometimes that has deep connections, obviously, to the pursuit of pleasure. But the other end of the spectrum from that is actually something different. Have you ever had the experience of going so either, you were either incredibly angry or you, were, um, you, you'd got, you had sort of begun acting out in such a way that, that after the moment had sort of passed, you thought, ah, who was that? It's not me. I, mean, I, I, I realize I did that, but that, that can't, that's not me. I'm just not acting like myself. That's actually the experience of ecstasy. The moment of detachment from yourself is a moment of ecstasy. And actually what ends up happening for so many of us, at least if you're like me in some way or another, is we chase those things to depart from the suffering that we actually experience such that we're not ourselves. And the Bible isn't saying then, hey, you know, go chase pain. But what it's saying is, you can't, we can't just continually try to escape from everything. Escapism is not the same thing as joy. Our aim is something totally different. The writer of Hebrews writes this to a suffering church as well. He says this, Remember those earlier days? This is in chapter 10. Remember those earlier days when you had rece- after you'd received the light, meaning Jesus, when you endured a great conflict, you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed. The word publicly exposed there is the word we get for the, where we get the word theater. It means you were brought up on stage. So you were, sometimes you were brought up on stage uh, to insult and persecution. And other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. In other words, part of your experience is just being with people who are also suffering. You suffered along with those in prison, and then listen to this, in the season of marketing and buying and consumerism, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possession. Now, what's happening is at times, there's a couple different times where we know this has happened, where... Rome would be real upset at the Jews and the Christians and would just sort of punch them out of their own, you know, like get them out of their own houses and make them run away for for fear of persecution. And when they were absent, everybody else could just take their stuff. Looting was just sort of like, oh, too bad, you don't get your stuff back. That's just part of the deal, you know? Like, so people would come in and take stuff. And the writer here is saying, remember when everyone took your stuff? Wasn't that just a joyful moment? Yay, we all got robbed. woo There's this like, what are you talking, how is this possible? That there's some kind of joy that's transcending over the circumstances, transcending over the experience of pleasure in which people go, there's a joy that happens even when we least expect it. There's a joy that sort of happens in the midst of real trial and pain and suffering. There has to be something on a much deeper, far more spiritual kind of component than just merely the experience of, if I had more stuff or more pleasure, I'd be joyful. What is it that the world is missing? It turns out that the good news of great joy isn't about a change in circumstances. It's not an elevated pleasure experience or an ecstatic spiritual experience for that matter. The good news of great joy is about a person. Look what it says in in John chapter one. This is verse 14. The word, meaning Jesus, became became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the word dwelling, this is a word that means, it literally means to like make a tent. It means that there's a, and the language is really intentional here. John, the author here, is writing about God who would who is dwell among us. He would make his tent. He would make a camp among the people. Now the language is intentional because the last sort of big moment we have of God occupying a tent is in the Exodus story. So the Israelites are captive for 400 years. They walk out. Some of you are old enough to remember the Prince of Egypt, Superior Animation, right, all that stuff. Right, they walk out, they're in the wilderness, and then God says, I want to meet with my people. And so they make a tent. It's like a mobile worship center. They set it up. You guys are used to being in mobile places, right? They set it up. God meets with his people. He tabernacles is sort of the more technical term. The word, the verb there is tabernacle. God tabernacles among his people. He makes a tent. And here you have the same writing, that God would make a tent in Jesus. He would dwell among his people. Now you see what's happening here. The good good news of great joy is about God not just being at a distance, but being right in and among his people. That there's something about joy which is connected to this person which everybody's pretty excited about. It turns out that joy is a together kind of word. You know, joy is something we experience, even if we experience a joyful moment by ourselves. Now we experience it because everybody, it's trending on, you know, it's trending all of a sudden on Twitter, like, you know, someone experienced it, now everybody just sort of shares it immediately. But if you experience a joyful moment, it's very difficult to keep that secret. It sort of begins to become a together kind of thing. And the whole experience of Christmas is one in which God starts walking hand in hand together in a brand new way with human beings. It's a together moment between us And to sort of look at it a little differently is to say this, that the joy at Christmas is God with us. It's us with God. John 15, there's this famous sort of passage Jesus is speaking. And he speaks for a long, he starts talking about how I'm the vine and you are the branches and apart from me you can do nothing. He says all these kinds of things. And he says, he uses the words over and over again, if you grew up in the church you learned the word abide in this passage. That you would abide in me, which means to dwell, to live in, to take up residence with me, to be connected to me. And he goes to this long explanation about you being connected to me, being connected to God. This is how you will have the fullest kind of life. And then he gets to verse 11 where he says this, I've told you all of this about being connected with me so that may joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete. The fullness of the experience of joy is God with us and us with God, us dwelling with him. He dwells with us and we dwell with him. We stay connected, we remain, we abide, we dwell with him. Our joy, it turns out, even more so, is the joy Jesus wants to give to us. My came that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made complete. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Is this. And let us one, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I would underline that whole phrase if you're an underliner person. If you have your own Bible, I'd underline it in your Bible. If you can digitally highlight it, I would do that as well. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, here's what's being said here before I finish that sentence The writer here is speaking about Jesus and saying, not. As Jesus looked at the cross, he was filled with joy. It's not saying in the sense that you might think, like, oh, wonderful, this is a form of Roman execution that even its citizens aren't allowed to be sort of executed by. It's the most painful, humiliating execution in the world. Yay, that's not what's happening. Because Jesus is act, we know from the gospel account that Jesus actually was like, hey, is there any other way we can do this whole thing? No, nope, this is the way, okay. What he's actually talking about is the joy that we get to have. The joy set before him is what's accomplished by the work on the cross, which means that we get to be with God, that we get to dwell with him and be with him. So let me read it again. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, which would be our own joy, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose joy that God wants to give to us the good news of great joy is that Jesus would come to dwell among us that we would be connected to him and that he would take on the cross itself that we might have full and complete joy now next week we're going to get an opportunity those of you who have been kind of dancing around this idea for a little while about maybe there's something kind of a little bit maybe missing in your life that you're wondering about Next week, we get an opportunity to sort of stand and make a confession of faith, which is just simply to say, I believe. Some of you have friends that are like, man, I, I, re- I really want them to be able to hear this message, that they've been wondering about what it looks like to, be, to have a full and complete joy that's beyond the sort of circumstances of experience and pleasure. And you're, t- you're thinking about there's those people who need to get, next week, next week, Caleb's gonna give you an opportunity to bring those friends and then give them an opportunity to stand and say, I believe. Maybe that's you as you're wrestling with it this week right now. It's like, I've been dancing around this and coming to church Maybe there's something beyond me that's missing that I need to sort of consider and embrace. But that's going to be next week, that the joy is about being together with God and Jesus. Maybe that's you for next week. Good news, great joy for all the people. Look what it says back in Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And then when they had all seen him, they spread the word concerning what, what had been told about them and this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. So here's what happens. The shepherds, who are terrified by the you know, unsubtle angels, shows up, radiance of God, don't be afraid, go check out, there's a baby in cloth, they go and, good news, great joy, they go and see it. They go and see this moment, this sort of whatever the angel had told them about. They go and see Jesus in a manger, and they were amazed, and so they can't help but tell everybody else. There's something about them that says this is not a story to be kept secret. Now, I I, want to tell you, at at Christmas, maybe the first thing for us as we sort sort of wrestle with this idea of joy is what is the obstacle for you in your own life to joy at this moment? I mean, what is it? I mean, there's probably some things as you're thinking about it, as we talk about the reality of joy, is that we really want to experience it. And yes, it's somehow there, but it's sort of being blocked a little bit by something in our own lives. For me, I'll tell you this. this is, we were talking, you know, as, as we're talking about a couple things, um, you know, Jarvis was talking about kind of his own experience of leading up to Christmas and sort of feeling a little bit, where's the joy moment? I'm the same way. And people ask, you know, and Caleb's like, hey, what's the Christmas tradition you guys have? And, you know, I'm. I, you know, my own, I have three kids, and my own tradition, my own family is I'm not there on Christmas Eve, ever. <laughs> and, you know, it's sort of the, wow, we're, um, for, see, so yeah, my oldest is almost nine. So for the past years, a couple years, my, my, my wife's been a single mom on Christmas Eve. I was raised by a single mom. This is the thing I didn't want to have happen, is that we'd have this sort of aloneness on Christmas Eve. And this is what happens every year. And I'm, I'm at seven or eight services, one of them being an 11 p.m. service at the Irvine campus. And my kids will not have a tradition of Christmas. So I have this, like, I don't have this, like, this is going to be such a great Christmas Eve, all these things. It's like, I'm excited about Christmas Eve. I'm excited about what God's going to do in and through it and how I get to be a part of it. But church people, they don't get to have that same experience. And I felt that sort of, like, I'm kind of bitter about it. And, and I, um, Kenton was sort of talking to me about his sort of prayer thing. He's like, i got to write Advent prayers. And Advent just is a word that means arrival, and he's sort of, he's like, will you, will you ride him with me? And I'm like, you mean, you want me to talk about the anticipation of joy and goodness and everything come at Christmas? He's like, yeah. And I go, can I not do that? I don't really feel like i would be real authentic. You know, I was kind of like smiling and thinking, That sounds wonderful. And he's like, you know what, I got to do it. He goes, I've lost it. I can't find, I, I am not finding any joy in Christmas. And I go, you? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, wow, the obligation all of a sudden got lifted a little bit. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I, I, what I'll do is I wrote, like, in fact, if you got it today, I wrote today's. And, you know, he, of course, corrected all the bad theology and the bad poor writing and all that stuff and, you know, made it all make sense. And so if you think it's awesome, you can thank him. But, um, but I'm writing about this stuff and I'm forcing myself to have to come face to face with this reality we talked about today. The good news of great joy is about a person, God, who had come among us to dwell among us. And what's happening to me as I'm writing these little paragraph prayers is I feel like that sort of last scene in The Grinch You Stole, you know, Grinch Stole Christmas that sort of like it's and his heart it grew two sizes, four, whatever, bigger, whatever. <laughs> Three and a half sizes, bigger, whatever, however Dr. Seuss says it. But I feel like that's sort of what's happening to me a little bit. Incrementally as I'm beginning to sort of wrestle with this idea of, of Advent and about the arrival and that, you know, maybe it's not about the sort of arbitrary tradition, although those things are wonderful and I do miss those things. But maybe there's something bigger that's going on here. Maybe the anticipation is about Jesus and not about what dinner I have on Christmas Eve. And I'm getting this sort of sense that maybe God wants to deliver into me a sort of a sense of joy for my family, even through some of those things that I feel like I'm kind of missing out on. What is it for you? What's the obstacle for you? Because the shepherds, when they experience the joy of Christmas, they encounter Jesus who's with them and they overflow with joy and there's this reaction of joy and sort of, we got to tell people about this, but they first have to experience it as good news. Of great joy. What's the obstacle for you that's in your way? What's God saying? You know what? Let's, let's talk about that. Let's do a little business about that. And then the other thing is this. Who needs your joy? If God dwells among us, tabernacles among us, that means he, he imparts upon us the joy of his relationship with us, which ought to then be given to other people as well. It's not ours to possess. Like, it's mine. You can't have it. This is my special little secret thing. It's like there's something about the telling of everybody else who would also be amazed. This is a pretty serious deal. Here's what I want you to do. This is this is a big moment. So get ready for this. In your uh, in your bulletin, you got this guy right here, and it is the same on one side as the other, unless you flip it open like this. Magic. Okay. I want you to take this out. Okay. Hold this for a second. Now you can see um, there is a what looks like a regular old sort of bulletin, you put it on your refrigerator and it's, you know, it's awesome and it, decor- it just, it's just so wonderful and you put it at your desk or whatever else it is that has the times and Christmas stuff happening at Mariner's Church. What I want you to do is this. On the count of three, you all have to be ready for this. We're going to tear this in half, okay? Not in half, in half. There's a little perforation. Maybe you do one of these a little bit, okay? Do this. There we go. Okay. On the count of three, we're going to tear this, up, tear this in half. Now, I hope it doesn't rip like in a big angle on mine. It'll just, it'll just mess with the whole thing. Okay, so what we you do. Tear this off. One, two, three. Oh, what a great sound. Okay. This one's for you. Put this on your refrigerator. Maybe you mark the times on there. If you want to hand it to someone else, that's fine too. We, I, I know a guy at Mariners. I'll get you another one. Okay. But you can hang on to this one. But this one right here on the back, it has the same times and all that kind of stuff on it. But it looks oddly like, remember those things back in the olden days called postcards? Where people used to write things with a pen and then they would send them to each other. Remember those? Okay. That's what that is. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold this for a second. Okay, And I want you to imagine right now who it is that God is inviting you to invite to church. Now you're like, I, that's just weird. People who invite people to church are bizarre people. They're lame. And, but you know what the truth is? You are people who are already inviters. And because it's you who are doing the inviting, because you already tabernacle among people, you're with them, you have made, you have made your tent with people in relationships, so to speak, then what you might be able to say is, hey, I was wondering if you want to come with me to Mariners for Christmas Eve. And there's people right here. Now listen to me. You're like, I don't have time to write a note. That's the size of a post it. The gap where you can write right there is a post it. That's one sentence. Hey, I was thinking about you and thought maybe you go, might want to come to church with me at Christmas Eve. Love Jeff. Let me write your own name there. You figure that out. But then you write there. Remember the people who used to have addresses? If you write their address in there, we will mail it for you. You're like, I don't have any stamps. We do. Okay? So here's what I want you to do. You're going to hold this for a moment, and I'm gonna pre- we're going to pray. And right now you're like, I can't think of anybody who I'm supposed to send this to. God will give you that person, I promise you. And you're going to think, that person really, they're so lame. Good news, a great joy for all the people, even that person that's so lame. They're going to get this from you. And they're going to be like, wow, that person's wonderful. Okay, you with me? There's only a little bit of nodding going out there. So I need you to make sure you're going to do it. Okay, good. There, thank you. Thank you so much, Stong family. You're with me. Okay, everybody, close your eyes. Hold this card, do not let go of it. Jesus, we know that one of the most courageous things we could do at Christmas is to invite people to join us to hear the story of comfort and joy as it would come to life. God, would would you make it clear to us who you would want us to invite? Lord, a lot of us have have people in our mind that we think, that person would never want to hear from me. They'd never want to get a lame postcard from me. There's not a chance, but that, God, maybe that's the person. Some of us have been looking for a way to invite that coworker, the distant relative, the you know, proverbially, strangely weird uncle that always does the thing that we're always embarrassed about in public, that guy, maybe whoever it is. God, would you bring that person to our mind? And will we have the courage to invite them? Might we even write something on our card that says, call me. That we might tabernacle, dwell among and with them. That they might see the joy of Christmas. Lord, we know that it is a message that's not to be kept secret. And it's one that you value and want people to hear and to know. So Lord, we commit ourselves to be people that spill over with the contagious experience of joy.